Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and ex-rat Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert with stinky yak cheese in her bra, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Wrecked, the 10th episode of season six. Wrecked aired on November 27th, 2001 and was written by Marty Noxon and directed by David Solomon. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full spectrum Buffy podcast. So if you haven't already seen all of the show, go finish up and we'll be here waiting for you like Spike in the basement of an abandoned building during daylight hours. (laughs) Oh, don't shake me super strength. I think I'm in a boot. But we can go on patrol if you want. In Wrecked, Tara and Dawn wake up where they fell asleep on the living room couch to cartoons and an empty house. Tara makes pancakes when Willow and Amy come home, and as Amy tells the tale of a wild night of magic making, Tara rushes out, leaving burned pancakes behind. In the abandoned building, Buffy wakes up in a full shame spiral and gets dressed, telling a naked and gloating Spike that this will never, ever, ever happen again. Spike, who is feeling the power he has over Buffy, tells her that the rules have changed. Last night changed. I'm done Nothing's changed. It was a mistake. Bollocks. Bloody revelation. Buffy returns home and says she was in the all-nighter kind of fight, which is technically true. Buffy discovers that Willow was also out all night with Amy. Willow and Buffy both go to sleep. When Willow crawls into bed, she's unable to magically close the grace. At the magic box, Anya, Xander, and Buffy are trying to figure out what kind of demon uses a diamond to freeze people. But Anya's concentrating more on the wedding plan. The conversation moves from that to Willow and her magic, and how she's maybe a little out of control. And Buffy over-identifies. So what if she crossed a line? You know, we all do stuff. Stupid stuff. But then we learn. And, and we learn, and, and we don't do it again. Okay, so, you know, who are we to be all judgy? Out on the town, Willow's a bit hungover, but Amy leads Willow into an invisible magical crack den to see Rack, a warlock who can boost their magic with no burnout. Rack takes to Willow right away, entranced with her. He takes his price, a taste of her power. You taste like strawberries. Willow gets high from his touch, and she and Amy go on magical trips. In Willow's trip, however, she sees a red demon dragging a limp woman's body through the woods. The demon sees her, and she screams and falls to the floor. Black-eyed, she magically travels to the bronze and the magic box, and then wakes up on the floor of her bedroom. She takes a shower and cries, then magically inflates one of Tara's old dresses to create the shape of Tara, and cuddles up with it on the bed. That night, Willow goes down to the kitchen to find Dawn making peanut butter and banana quesadillas. Willow apologizes for being out all night the other night. Dawn says she's fine by herself, but mentions that Buffy's out patrolling tonight. Willow suggests they go out to dinner in a movie, and Dawn's happy to toss her culinary creation. Later, Buffy returns home to an empty house. Well, empty except for one former rat who's creeping around the place, stealing stuff. Buffy pins Amy against the wall and asks where Willow and Dawn are, and Amy suggests that Willow went to see Rack. Buffy pushes her against the wall, demanding to know who the hell Rack is. Oh, don't shake me again, super strength. I think I'm going to boot. Willow and Dawn are walking through downtown Sunnydale, supposedly going to the movie theater. But Willow wants to make one quick stop first. 
She pulls Dawn into Rack's waiting room and leaves Dawn there while she goes in and gets high, where Rack gives her more demony visions. Buffy finds Spike sleeping naked in his crypt and tells him Dawn is missing and she can't find where Willow took her. Spike flirts with her until Buffy mentions Rack. Then he gets serious and gets dressed, and Buffy turns away. Oh, that's right. Hide your blushing eyes. At Rack's, Dawn is about to go in and get Willow when Willow comes out. Dawn's angry that she's been waiting so long, and they've missed the movie. But when she sees Willow's blackened eyes, she gets worried. Willow, all high and good moody, tries to be cute with Dawn as they walk home. But Dawn just wants to go home. Willow makes fun of her for being a buzzkill while they walk down a back alley, stalked by a demon. While out looking for Dawn, Spike and Buffy talk about their night together. Last night was the most perverse, degrading experience of my life. Yeah, me too. Dawn gets freaked out and wants to go home, but Willow doesn't want to go with her. They get attacked by the demon Willow saw in her vision. Willow thinks the demon isn't real until he swipes out and scratches Dawn's face. He tells Willow that she summoned him with her magics. Dawn kicks him back into a pile of trash and Dawn and Willow run. Willow magically gets them into a car and drives it with her magic, erratically swerving all over the place and laughing while Dawn screams. She guides the car into an underpass and looks back toward the demon, not watching where she's driving. Take that, Spud. Dawn comes to in the wrecked car and gets out. She goes to check on Willow when the demon runs at her. The demon attacks and she fights back, screaming. Spike and Buffy hear her and run to her, where Buffy takes out the demon while Spike takes care of Dawn. The demon starts to shake and then burns up and disappears to reveal Willow standing behind him, black-eyed and crackling with magic. Buffy gives Willow a dark look and tends to Dawn, whose arm is hurt. Willow tries to talk to Dawn, but Dawn slaps her. Willow falls to the ground, sobbing. Spike takes Dawn and leaves Buffy behind to take care of Willow. Willow says she can't stop and begs for Buffy to help her. Later, Buffy goes into Willow's room where Willow is sitting on the bed, huddled in a blanket. Buffy says Dawn's arm is fractured, but she's okay. They talk and Willow talks about what the magic did for her. It gave her a chance to be super rather than just plain old Willow, but it's not worth it. It won't happen again, I promise. That night, Willow suffers through the withdrawal in her room while Buffy sits on her bed, surrounded by garlic, holy water, and crosses. All right, Noelle, so here we are with the second half of the smashed wreck story. Um, and uh, so uh, I'm curious, what do you think about this episode? I have a lot of feelings about this episode, um, mm-hmm. mostly because mostly paradoxical feelings <laughs> because it. Yes. <laughs> It doesn't work for me, and yet it totally works for me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Same. Okay, tell me how that is for you. Okay, so, I mean, I'm going to rip into the metaphor and the parallel in this episode Mm -hmm. pretty hard because I don't think it works very well for the story arc, but Mm -hmm. it still works on me. Even when it doesn't quite work, because Alison Hannigan's performance is masterful. Oh, interesting. You know what? I think maybe that might be part of it. Because I've thought about, like, 
I don't care for, I like this episode. I actually like this episode and I like Smash. There's a lot of good stuff in both episodes, but I so highly associate both of these episodes with this uh, drugs as magic metaphor, which, you know, we have talked about this. We have, you know, been been talking about this since the beginning of Still Pretty. We always mention when we get to drugs as magic, it's a bad metaphor. You know, the way that it works is is not great because sometimes it's magic and sometimes it's drugs. You know, like when she's high and she's just, uh, you know, like up against the ceiling and having visions like that's just drugs. That's not magic. That's just drugs. Aside from the fact she's like defying gravity (laughs) and her eyes are all black, you know. Um, But but it's so to me, it always seems like the magical power is either one or the other and they don't really mix well together. Um, So we're flipping back and forth between, you know, um, an addiction to power in and of itself, which is an addiction to what you can do, which is what we saw happening in Tabula Rasa um, versus this kind of like drug high escaping my pain sort of thing, um, which is what we're doing with Rack. So I don't particularly care for that because I think it's a sl- it's sloppy metaphorical work um, that said you're absolutely right Alison Hannigan's performance is incredible and the um, and as a drug story itself um, you know uh, Willow's the change in Willow's demeanor um, the ways in which she ceases to be herself uh, the ways in which she is truly just trying to escape her pain and her grief you know, um, and Allison Hannigan uh, makes that shit work. I mean, there is nothing more affecting than Allison Hannigan in pain. And I cannot watch her crying in the shower, watch her curling up to the oh terror dress. Yeah. Um, without like her, her discussion with Buffy about I'm just plain old Willow. Uh, when she says Tara didn't even know that girl, it kills me every time because I think that it like this depiction we talk about magic is drugs metaphor and all this kind of stuff but this depiction of just fucking grief I mean Jesus it's so affecting it's so powerful yeah and when I say that like it works for me and it doesn't work for me I mean Mm -hmm. I feel like the best way to tell a story about drugs is to tell a story about drugs you know, like yes. I mm-hmm. like right. we don't need magic to be drugs because we have drugs to be drugs. <laughs> and like a lot of us, I think a lot of us know what that looks like for people, whether it's in our own lives or in the lives of people that we care about. Like we know what drugs do to people. Um, mm-hmm. Right. But the magic, ma- I don't know. I don't know. So, I mean, I'll get to magic as drugs and like kind of some thoughts on that in a minute but Mm -hmm. the part of this that totally works for me is that like just the range of the performance that yeah Allison Mm -hmm. Hannigan has to give as Willow and that moment when she hits rock bottom when she goes from this kind of you know, like she comes to, right? She's like maxed out yeah. her magic for the night or whatever. And mm-hmm. she comes to and she can presumably see clearly because her eyes are no longer mm-hmm. all blacked out. Right. There's that shift in her from trying to, um, you know, explain 
what she did, that sort of desperate apologizing, that kind of Mm -hmm. explanation as excuse to saying when, when she goes, when she says, oh, God, I need help. That moment oh my God. is so powerful, even though the metaphor like doesn't work for me. Her, yes, like, exactly. The way, yes. the way she plays that and the way that whole, the way that whole moment, that rock bottom moment mm-hmm. plays yeah. and the way it's written, I think is so smart and it's so good because when she says oh god i need help mm-hmm. that's the moment where she truly crashes yeah mm-hmm. i mean and it's in a very short amount of time right it's under a minute mm-hmm. she gets outside of herself enough that her perspective shifts mm-hmm. right. and that shift is reflected in her language mm-hmm. yeah i mean i've talked a little bit i think i've talked i hope i've talked before mm-hmm. about willow's nickname being will yeah. And how her will and her willfulness shape her identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But her her nickname is also her internal struggle. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen like because we've seen this a lot. We've seen a lot of will mm-hmm. recently right. in the sense of Willow's satisfying her own desires and adhering to her own opinions mm-hmm. often and increasingly to the detriment of others. Mm-hmm. Um things happen to people around her because she wills it yeah because she is you know she is using her will to create this this world around herself but when willow says i can't she's suddenly identifying with incapacity and inability Mm -hmm. which is the opposite of will oh my god yeah and then she breaks down and begs for help yeah willow literally interrupts herself to admit she needs help mm-hmm. which is the end of her self-will oh my and god it is, i love that whole read that's fascinating i love it yeah. i love that moment mm-hmm. and i especially i'm i'm especially taken with the fact that it for me like the emotional beats are there yeah. and the performance is so strong that it kind of overshadows this whole issue that i have with yeah magic as a drug yeah 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 no it definitely does i mean i think that it is um and that's the thing like it's not it's not a good metaphor like it's not a good metaphor and buffy's identifying with it with her you know thing with spike like he's a drug oh or whatever God. like that doesn't work yeah. for me i'm talking about that in a little bit but um but overall like the the beats that they hit the oh god i need help the the addiction the metaphor itself doesn't work but the execution of the addiction experience i think there's some really resonant moments in that there's some really good moments in that and i love that whole read on willow and will and power i mean that's like you know a fascinating thing i love what you pulled out of that well and i think that read on will has a lot to do with Marty Noxon's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I appreciate what she and Allison Hannigan do with magic use as drug abuse, mm-hmm. I really, really don't like this metaphor. Yeah. Um, mostly, I mean, partly because we don't need a metaphor for drugs because right. we have drugs yes, to do that. Exactly. But also because it just comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like it feels to me like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that it does. I think it's a different thing. You know, well, and especially the particular portrayal of magic that we get 
or magic use, I mm-hmm. guess, that we get in this episode, it is really set up as evil or at least dark. Yes. Um, We have lots of references to magic, you know, in addition to everything that's going on with Willow. But like, it's all this like, oh, magic is dark. Magic is bad. Magic is evil. You know, mm-hmm. Anya says, don't be ri- don't be ridiculous. Martha Stewart isn't a demon. She's a witch. Mm-hmm. And then goes on to equate productivity with dark forces yeah. specifically. Yeah. Not magic. Mm-hmm. Like, but dark forces. Well, and also productivity with like, I mean, cocaine is I mean, cocaine as a drug is extremely destructive. But man, you get shit done. Right. right? You know, um, yeah. Meth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'd be just like wide awake and super <laughs> incredibly productive. And so then that's what nobody can do that much decoupage without calling on the powers of darkness. Like that is directly, I think, relating to, you know, nobody can do all of this stuff if they're not on cocaine, you know, which is, you know, brings us back into this like drug metaphor and i think that we do like there's a lot of flopping around like magic is about power when we want it to be about power it's about drugs and escaping pain when we want it to be that and now it's about addiction um you know and not that you can't get addicted to power i think that you absolutely can um but it's a it's a different thing from like this this really direct drug metaphor that we've got going on here um because in in a lot of it it's not a metaphor it is actual drugs you know yeah except when it's not well see that's the thing like (laughs) it's just in here like it's called out as bad Mm -hmm. right like spike lumps witches in with vampires Mm -hmm. when he's talking about who can access rack unless they're into the big bad right Mm -hmm. yeah it's very like you know painting everything with this like really broad brush Mm -hmm. but the thing about magic on this show is that we've seen a lot of it like a lot a lot of magic Mm -hmm. and it hasn't always been tinged with darkness Mm -hmm. like magic has been ecstatic it's been productive Mm -hmm. and protective and it has saved the world multiple times Mm -hmm. um magic brought angel's soul back Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of magic that happens and it's never been this like inherently evil thing yeah it hasn't been so deeply associated with magic um and yeah and going back to your point before where you were talking about how like it feels like it's coming out of nowhere rack's place literally is coming out of nowhere it literally comes out of nowhere comes out of nowhere so it feels like on some level for that metaphor at least uh you know there was like an awareness of that um but the um yeah the uh, magic as essentially dark is also i think an an idea that also like rack comes out of nowhere right this is not the history that we laid down this is not i mean we've we've looked at magic as you can use it for you know evil like the same way like it's it's the kitchen knife metaphor right you can use a kitchen knife to make dinner for your family or you can use a kitchen knife to like stab somebody in the gut right um and that how you choose to use it defines you know how it's good or not but it in and of itself 
is, you know, is, is like neutral, is, is value neutral, you know? Um, and that's how we've always looked at magic. We've had Gwendolyn Post who came in and was, you know, trying to use magic and get that, um, you know, the glove of Minigan or whatever to give her a, a, a cosmic power, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, so we see magic used for evil, but we've never associated it itself as a source of that evil that the person using it can wield it for good or evil if they want to it is simply power and that is what magic has been up until now it is simply power it is a tool you know well and magic users Mm -hmm. have been nuanced too Mm -hmm. so it's not like only evil people or only demons or only this or that use magic i mean we've seen a wide range of people using magic for a variety of goals Mm -hmm. um right ethan rain and chaos you know yeah yeah, like yeah. yeah But then in this episode, suddenly we're saying magic is bad, just like having sex with Spike is bad, which right. wrong no. twice. And I mean, in yes. my opinion, like- <laughs> no, that's another thing, too, is like Buffy's identifying her struggle with Spike and the fact that she wants to be with Spike with Willow. I mean, we have that scene at the end where they're talking and Buffy, we have Buffy twice like seriously over identifying with Willow and what Willow's and what's going on with Willow. And I won't, you know, I won't necessarily call a foul on that because uh, when we're going through a thing, we see everything through the lens of what we're going through, you know, like, so whether absolutely. it fits or not, yeah. that is absolutely like a human trait. But from outside of Buffy's perspective, um, we when we're presenting this as part of the story, and I think that the story is presenting this not as Buffy reaching, but as Buffy seeing something that is there when in fact it isn't. Uh, Willow's use of magic is actually hurting people. We have Dawn home from the hospital and resting, you know, on painkillers in the next room to prove that point, you know. Um, but it's, it's but Buffy has this thing like, yes, even if it hurts people, you know, like you can't do it because it hurts people. She's not hurting anybody except Spike. And that is consensual hurting those bruises were absolutely requested and enjoyed so um so that whole thing that whole analogy with you know being out of control and being addicted like she's addicted to spike um if she wants to have like crazy hot sex with spike she can but we have this um I think someone could do a thesis on Buffy's almost ascetic pursuit of purity, right? Um, We have this whole thing, like, you know, um, doesn't slain always make you hungry and horny from faith in the third season, when which she says, well, sometimes I crave a nonfat yogurt afterward, um, which is a lie. Sometimes she likes it and sometimes she wants to get down afterward and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but we see that as somehow morally wrong. And moreover, Buffy definitely sees it, uh, her desire for sex and that kind of sexual connection as a, some kind of moral uh, somewhere on this moral spectrum, which it is absolutely not. They're not hurting anybody but each other. And that's with consent. Most of it, the emotional pain and the emotional abuse as we move forward with this uh, with this relationship is definitely another issue entirely. But right now, her, there's nothing wrong with her having sex with Spike. There's nothing wrong with her wanting to have sex with Spike. There's nothing wrong with her having sex with Spike without loving Spike. Like he's on board. He knows she doesn't love him. And that's fine. You know, um, so all of that stuff I find 
um, I find really interesting because it almost feels like as much as we are forcing this drugs as magic metaphor, we are also forcing the idea of Buffy being somehow analogous, Buffy's experience with Spike being somehow analogous to this already weak and suddenly twisted in a different direction metaphor that we're working with. Um, but uh, but I think it's it's really, really interesting how Buffy is somehow not allowed to want Spike sexually. She says, a vampire got me hot. One vampire. Yeah. Like, no, clearly that is not the case. You know, there is a second vampire who has gotten you super hot. You fucked a house down about it. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's all right. That's not, you know, we're, we're in this Buffy is, is like deep, deep in um, a purity idea that is both wrong. And I think rubber stamped completely by the text. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, okay. That's kind of where, <gasps> that's where it gets a little bit, a little bit confusing to me, especially with this like addiction parallel because mm -hmm. Buffy's whole thing seems to be that she is bad yeah. somehow which I mean when you look at that alongside this metaphor of magic addiction like that's pretty mm -hmm. shitty because yeah. what you end up suggesting is that people who get addicted to things or people who do things that maybe are not in alignment with their highest selves or however you want to phrase that, that those people mm -hmm. are weak or bad or impure. And it's right. just like, like, no, like, <laughs> there's just not, that's right. not a thing. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I have a couple more thoughts on magic addiction <laughs> and then I want to get, then I, I want to, deep dive into this Buffy purity thing oh, sure. because well, I think it's yeah. absolutely there. Yeah. Um, especially since the last shot of this episode is her cuddling in bed with a cross, yeah. which is uh, not symbolic. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, it's very funny. Like there's garlic hanging everywhere. Like she's Willow is quote unquote detoxing mm -hmm. in bed. Buffy is detoxing in bed with, you know, garlic, but she's also holding this cross and like mm -hmm. curled in the fetal position on the bed. And I'm like, yeah, that is some uh, that is some purity culture. That is some deep ass purity right culture. And especially, I mean, even in a show where uh, the the religious symbols that they use, which we've had this discussion before, that the religious symbols that they use are used without taking into account the ways in which they're culturally charged you know we're just we're just using them without actually acknowledging what they mean on a greater scale you know um which which can sometimes make the use of religious symbols within this text a little bit dodgy um but uh but yeah i find that really interesting so anyway yes let's let's finish up what you got to talk about with the the magic as drugs metaphor and then we can talk about the buffy purity thing a little bit more yeah yeah mm -hmm. Because, okay, because ultimately, I don't think that the magic, the the magic addiction storyline mm -hmm. is bad, necessarily. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's actually kind of fine and has a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that really looking at it as a, like, 
I think what's missing is the idea of actual substances that could be abused. Right. Like if we want to talk about substance abuse, I feel like there needs to be a substance. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Because then there's then there's a more there's a more direct conversation to be had. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. or alternately, we could have a conversation about some of the myths and stigmas surrounding substance abuse and dependency and even the concept of addiction itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. And I think I think Marty Noxon tries to get us there a little bit mm-hmm. in the conversation between Buffy and Willow at the end. You know, Willow is feeling trapped as regular Willow and wants to be super Willow. Yes. Um, you know, if you could be plain old Willow or super Willow, who would you be? And then she realizes who she's talking to and is like, oh, you don't really get a choice on the whole super thing. Like, that's where I think the parallel between what Willow has been doing and what Buffy is doing could get really interesting. But that is not about a substance. Mm-hmm. That's about an abuse of power. Yes. And we'll get there. Like, mm-hmm. we'll get there. Yeah. The difference between substance abuse and power abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I think a truly satisfying narrative about magic as drug use requires a deeply nuanced view of people who use drugs mm-hmm. in the real world mm-hmm. and drugs themselves. Mm-hmm. It cannot simply be that, you know, quote unquote, drugs are bad and that people who use them are villainous, weak, stupid or all of the above. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally, just a note about Amy. (laughs) (laughs) I I hate the turn that Amy takes in this episode. I hate it so hard. Yes. Um, But we get multiple jabs at Amy for having been a rat. Mm -hmm. Willow introduces Amy to Tara as Amy the rat and then kind of apologizes. And I love that Amy goes, no, it's fair. I was a rat. Um, Anya tells Xander, at least I didn't dump you to hang out with an ex-rat. Mm-hmm. And of course, Rack says, you were a rat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with this like perfect shady dude disdain, mm-hmm. which, OK, sure. But let's not forget that Amy made herself a rat to save her own life. Yeah. Like, she was going to be burned at the stake. Yeah. So, again, like, this whole, it's not, you know, well, there's not enough nuance with magic, and magic users mm-hmm. are just lumped into this kind of, all right, everybody's bad and fucked up category, mm-hmm. just like Buffy is fucked up for having sex with Spike. And no. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, no. I mean, back to Amy as a rat. Like, I find that a really interesting insight. But also, she made herself a rat because she was being burned at the stake, which she was being burned at the stake because she was, I mean, you know, let's not forget where witches being burned at the stake came from. Like, yeah. it comes from women with power cannot be tolerated and we will burn you at the stake if you have any power even if the power is made i mean this is actual real world shit the power is made up witches are not real you know in our in the way that you know when witches were being burned at the stake they were imagined you know um wicca 
and people who identify as witches are absolutely real. That's a different thing. Um, but uh, but the idea of a woman as this mythical figure of a witch um, because she was a woman who had dared to maybe try to uh, to utilize or access power. Um, that's a real thing. So when we see Amy as having made herself a rat to deal with the restrictions put on her by a woman, this is a, you know, highly uh, cultured reading, but still, um, and then being punished for having saved herself, you know, in the same way, like that's kind of interesting and not at all, you know, out of line with what we do culturally to women who d- damned if you do damned if you don't virgin yeah. or, you know, no matter what we hate women in this culture. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like, so Amy, so Amy uses her power to save herself. Yes. And becomes a rat. Mm-hmm. Buffy is clearly doing something yeah. to save something and hates herself because of it. Like, yeah. this is, it's this, this purity thing. It right? is this purity like, thing. The, I mean, one of my favorite lines in this whole episode is Spike saying, I may be dirt, but you're the one who likes to roll oh, in it. Oh, yeah. Which... Okay, fair. But, <laughs> but I mean, literal dirt, like literal dirt, mm-hmm. right, is what we're talking about mm-hmm. here. And the idea of getting dirty and being dirty like a rat. I mean, right. rats get blamed for all kinds of things that, mm-hmm. you know are not really their fault. It wasn't the rats that brought the plague. It was the fleas on the rats. But anyway, <laughs> yes. um, but Buffy, Buffy has this whole, I don't know. I don't know that it's so much I'm dirty, but the, it's, it's linked up with the came back wrong idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And wrong, at least in this, in this episode, mm-hmm. as in, I want to be doing this thing with Spike. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm I but I don't want to be doing this thing with Spike. Or I don't want to be wanting it. I don't know. Right, but it's just sex. Like it's sex. Well, He's on board. He knows she doesn't love him. Like actually there's nothing wrong with it aside from thinking that it's wrong. I mean, I get that it's Spike and that she's ashamed of that because, you know, it's Spike, but also, um, it's Spike. Like I'm not having sex with him, but I think that you might be, you know, like this kind of like everybody knows how hot Spike is. Like we have acknowledged this, you know, he's also, you know, he's got a chip like, yeah, it's not a soul, but he's not like actively killing people. Not that he wouldn't if he could, he would try, but you know, whatever. Like, I understand why she's ashamed of wanting Spike in that context, but that but it feels to me like she is judging herself not just for wanting spike but for wanting the sex with spike for wanting to feel something um you know we're dealing with buffy in this season as a post traumatic story and in post trauma you know like your ability to feel things definitely gets uh muted you know, um, yeah. and getting access back to your emotions and your feelings is really, really difficult. So for there to be something that you can do that and, and let's not forget is hurting nobody. 
you know, the idea of Buffy being like, yeah, I'm having great sex with Spike and there's a lot about it that I don't understand. But in that moment, I'm enjoying it. Like, uh, you know, and claiming that it's okay for her to want that. It's okay for her to do that because she's not being dishonest with Spike. She's not telling him she loves him. She's not doing anything. I mean, aside from the fact that they like generally like to hit each other in the face, but that also seems to be kind of like a mutual love for violence. And when it's consensual, hitting people in the face is fine. If that's a sexually consensual thing that you're doing, then there's no problem with that. There's no moral judgment on that. So there's a lot of moral judgment happening on Buffy with regard to what it feels like to me is this purity culture, you know, um, ideal that that for me doesn't work with this. I understand um, her questioning the ways in which she abuses him because she does like to hit him a lot. She does like to beat the hell out of him and she likes to fuck him. And I think that if you're questioning yourself as a person who would enjoy sleeping with somebody that you also like to hurt, um, that yeah, like there's there's abuse narratives in there that could be disturbing and you would want to think about. Um, but but what it is here, what I feel like we're being given is that her wanting the hot sex is wrong, that that's what the problem is um, more than, you know, why do I want to be with somebody that I also like to hurt? You know, like, what is that about? Like, that's that's a, a definitely something that I could see her struggling with. But it feels like she's just struggling with the fact that she wants to have sex with Spike. And there's nothing wrong with having sex with Spike. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with pain within the context of. Yes. A consensual sexual encounter. Yes. Like, I think it's not just that she enjoys hurting Spike. It's that she enjoys being hurt by mm-hmm. Spike yep. um, in a sexual way. I talked about this last week mm-hmm. with Impact Play right. and BDSM mm-hmm. and Buffy being very judgmental. What what I read as being very judgmental about the kind of sex she wants to have. Yes. Because for whatever reason, this... This is a parallel for her with her life falling apart, right? right? Because mm-hmm. she wakes up. So she wakes up in the rubble mm-hmm. and the music is all this like doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she looks around and she says, when did the building fall down? Right. And that's a pretty major mm-hmm. like falling apart yeah. to not notice. Mm-hmm. But also that's the point, right? right. Because this is on the heels of... You know, just within the within the episode, this mm-hmm. comes right after Dawn has woken up at home, quote unquote, alone. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, Tara's there, but but would Dawn, have been alone, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Dawn is Buffy's home is has crumbled around Buffy mm-hmm. because she is with Spike, or at right. least that is her perception of what's going on. I'm so <laughs> I'm so unclear on this whole. Buffy Spike dynamic mm-hmm. in part because this this scene in particular yeah. where they wake up together and she's horrified and he is very smug mm-hmm. and we get a whole dance of this yes means or no or no means yeah whatever oh, right. no means yes yeah we get a bunch of like no means yes kind of co-signed by the episode mm-hmm. that I don't totally know what to do with I hate because that. I, I hate read that. it mm-hmm. I read this as she is saying no 
not because she doesn't want what Spike is proposing, mm-hmm. but because she doesn't want to want what she wants. Yes. But that is a that is my reading into mm-hmm. it. On the surface, this is a this is somebody saying no and someone else ignoring that and, and doing sexual that. things to them. Yes. And uh, which okay, which in the realm of fantasy, right? You know, like in a consensual thing, you guys agree and you have a, you know, a safe word or whatever for when no actually means no and that's that's agreed upon. Like there is a sexy space for that, you know. Um one of the things that I really don't like and I've seen actually quite a lot um in in our storytelling is this idea that a woman says no, no, no. Her lips say no, 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 but her eyes say yes, yes, yes. And like it doesn't matter unless you guys have previously agreed that no means yes and you're in sex play like no means no now uh spike is the vampire spike is evil so the fact that he would ignore her no is fine because he's evil and you know we would have consequences for that or whatever and we will see consequences for that happening in scene red when we get to that at the end of the season which is going to be not a fun conversation so let y'all know and in, in ahead of time that's going to be tough um but the problem is exactly this that the text co-signs this as sexy now within the fictional space you know you could argue that we are in a fantasy space and so um, in, and to some level, because we are in a fantasy space and we are playing with this, playing with this as being sexy um, is, is, you know, is a legit thing that you can do. There can definitely be an argument for that. I do feel that a text co-signing this, however, in a world in which women are actually often treated this way um, is, is a dangerous thing to co-sign, even under the realm of fantasy and fiction. Um, because that does actual real damage. Um, one of the things that I, I very much dislike about Aaron Sorkin's work, and I'm a huge Sorkin fan, I love Aaron Sorkin, but he has this thing where whether a woman wants a guy or not, she says no over and over and over and over and over again. He is just persistent and he wears her down. And that is shown over and over again in various Sorkin shows as being a romantic thing, which it is not. Um, you know, if a woman says no, but means yes, then you have to wait or a woman, anybody, if anybody says no, when they mean yes, although culturally we tend to put this on feminine, you know, presenting people, um, then you wait until they actually say yes. And that's it. Like you don't get to decide what they actually mean. Um, so I find it, um, it, it hits on a very disturbing part of our culture. It hits on rape culture. Um, there are a lot of things in there that I find really, really disturbing. Um, and whether or not in the moment it seems sexy or hot is really, I think, um, in, in the fantasy space is, I think the damage that it does overwhelms that, you know, that kind of argument for this. Yeah, and it's especially difficult with Spike and Buffy because they're doing this thing Mm -hmm. where the way it's played and the way it plays out is that Buffy is not in touch with what she wants. Yes. Or she's not willing to acknowledge what she wants. Mm -hmm. You know, she's been monster wrestling all night, but really she's monster wrestling all the time because it's mental, emotional monsters, right? right? Yes. Um, And, you know, she she doesn't want to 
look at the thing that she's into. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a literal moment of this yeah. when Spike says, oh, hide your blushing eyes. Yes. But the way it's presented is that she says, I'm disgusted with myself. Mm-hmm. And then they have this conversation where Spike, and he does this throughout the episode, but in this conversation where they're they're out looking for Dawn mm-hmm. and Willow, she says, Buffy says, last night was the most perverse, degrading experience of my life. And Spike says, yeah, me too. In this very <laughs> soft, sweet, kind of um, almost uh, complimented, like he's taking that yeah. as a compliment kind of way, which I think is a well, lovely like, read on the line. Yeah. Yeah. It's great because he's he is reframing this. Yes. For both of them. Mm-hmm. Um and she says, then she she negates that again. Mm-hmm. And she says, that might be how you get off, but it's not my style. And he says, no, it's your calling. Mm-hmm. Gave me a run for my money, Slayer. In this, So in this whole, like, I know who you really are and I'm going to get you to acknowledge it mm-hmm. way. And I feel like the show... I actually, I was going to say, I feel like the show is with Spike here and the show wants us to go with Spike. But honestly, I don't know Mm -hmm. because of that scene with Willow at the end where Buffy's like, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Even if it feels good, you have to stop. I'm not 100 percent sure how I'm supposed to feel. I guess that's I guess that is where I struggle with this, Mm -hmm. because if the if the story is. Buffy doesn't know what she really wants or Buffy knows what she wants, but doesn't Doesn't like like what she wants, doesn't like what she wants. Mm -hmm. And Spike knows what she wants, is not ashamed of the the sexual relationship that they have or Mm -hmm. is not like he is not willing to buy into her kink shaming or whatever this is. Mm -hmm. And he is going to help her out of that shame mm-hmm. around having the kind of sex that she wants to have. Yeah. I mean, okay. Like, that's great. Like, if that's the story, I mean, maybe, again, a touch of problematic in, you know, male person, male-coded person mm-hmm. telling a woman what she wants and how she feels. But if the story is his positivity his kink positivity yeah. is going to move her out of shame and into enjoyment mm-hmm. of this. Great. Yeah. Like, I'm here for it. Yeah. But I don't think that that's what they're doing. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I think that they're saying that this is wrong. And like, I understand. I understand the levels as we get to later in the season where Buffy's like, why do I let him do these things to me? Why do I do the, You know, why am I doing these things? Because she doesn't want to be doing these things. And there is a lot of that kink shaming, you know. Um, but there's also the fact that like Spike is, you know, evil. He's a dog on a leash, you know. And like, you know, she doesn't want to want that um and she has to kind of like come to terms with that so we see her struggling with it but because we equate that with willow's struggle in which we are very very clear on what is good and what is bad right we equate buffy with willow's struggle and then we're like oh wait you know like what is like what i'm seeing what i'm reading here isn't what necessarily i think the show is putting down um and that does get a little bit confusing. I think that it is really unclear. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I leave this episode with no real solid sense of how mm-hmm. I, the viewer, should feel about exactly. the Spike exactly. Buffy stuff, especially since the last interaction we get between Spike and Buffy in this episode is this little nod between mm-hmm. them when Dawn is hurt. Yeah. Which I love because it's not called attention to particularly at all. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the many things that's happening in the frame. Willow has had her rock bottom, like literally hit the floor yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this understanding between them. They're walking away. Spike and Buffy are walking away with Dawn. And then I thought at first I thought it was Buffy who turned around first, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Spike noted Spike acknowledges Willow, turns around just a little bit, and then, like, looks at Buffy, and there's, it's not called out at all, and it happens in this split second, but there's this little, like, look between them, and then Spike goes off with Dawn so that Buffy can attend to Willow. Right. Um, And this is the thing, that, like, we have all of this stuff, all of this conflict with Spike and Buffy and yada, yada, yada. But in this moment, like, the way that they work together is beautiful. They come in, like, this demon is attacking Dawn, Buffy fights the demon, and Spike, our evil vampire, is attending to Dawn. He is nurturing and caring for Dawn while Buffy takes care of things. And there's absolutely no conversation like there's no confusion about who's doing what they each take on a job that needs to be done and spike our evil vampire masculine coded right is the one doing the nurturing while buffy is doing the fighting which i absolutely love um i love this moment of communication between them where they're absolutely on the same page whenever it comes to anything outside of the two of them and their relationship they work together beautifully and are on the same page and it's one of the things that i absolutely love about this relationship those are the moments that make me you know into spike and buffy as a couple i love it i mean okay everybody shouting we're in season six it's a bad season for buffy and spike there's a lot of bad things going on not necessarily bad season i think it's a good story but i mean there's like i understand why buffy and spike are are like bad for each other i get that but it's these moments that give me that push pull against the things that are bad that are like oh but there's this because it's actually beautifully done and it's just in the background and it's actually fairly easy to miss if you are prone to missing it you know yeah, if you just think about those relationship dynamics and how mm-hmm. that has to happen. And I I don't know, I really appreciate the detail that I didn't catch until like my yeah. probably fourth watch mm-hmm. through this episode that it's Spike who quietly acknowledges Willow. Yeah. Cuz Buffy is fully prepared. Buffy is pissed mm-hmm. and fully prepared to just walk away, get Dawn to the hospital. Yeah. And it's Spike, yeah, who has also like touched that darkness Mm -hmm. who has this tiny moment of compassion in the form of acknowledgement of this person who has done something has done something incredibly reckless incredibly dangerous but is also in a lot of pain and this is spike without a soul 
Like this is the I same know. thing as when Spike took care of Tara in Spiral when Tara opened up the blinds in the RV and burned him with the sun, right? When Spike was caring and careful with Tara and had actual empathy, not cognitive empathy where you know what somebody is feeling, which is what we saw in the Yoko factor where he manipulated everybody using that empathy, but actual empathy, empathy. That Spike without a soul is able to engage with, feel, and act according in accordance with actual empathy um, is yeah. one of the things that makes me so fascinated with Spike. I mean, Angelus with a chip. Would Angelus with a chip have ever given a flying fuck about Willow or Tara? Uh, no. You know? I don't think so. And that's Just why off, Spike yeah. is fascinating to me. That is why I love Spike so much and I find him such a fascinating character because even without a soul, he has a soul. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that it's speaks to really... his general nature. Yep. Ugh, God, it's, it's so fascinating. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to talk about this this magical drug dealer. Yeah, true. <laughs> Absolutely. Who I'm actually not fully convinced is a drug uh-huh. dealer, but I'll get there in a second. Yeah. Um, so he's like, maybe a warlock he's this magical dude right i love that his name is rack yes also a historical torture device yes. you know mm-hmm. no big deal you know whatever. no big deal i'm sure that's unintentional um, i'm sure it's unintentional except that then i was like oh my god his name is rack mm-hmm. so you know fun with phrases mm-hmm. right on the rack sure is a phrase meaning suffering intense distress or strain mm-hmm. of course allusion to the historical torture device yep there's also the phrase, and I don't know if this is one that is maybe kind of antiquated at this point, but do you know the phrase, go to rack and ruin? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I haven't heard it much recently, yeah. but I love it. Mm-hmm. It means to gradually deteriorate in condition because of neglect or to fall into disrepair. Yes, like my house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go to rack and ruin. My house um, is in rack and ruin because I'm the worst yeah. homeowner ever. Yes. <laughs> so... So when you go to rack, you also go to ruin. It's it's lovely. I just this is the kind of delightful little nuggets that I like to pick out of things. Um, And as clunky as it is, I kind of like that he's dealing in literal back alley magic. Right. (laughs) Yes. It's and of course, of course, this is the return of Jeff Kober. Yes. He was he was crawling and helpless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeff Kober is always great oh, as a yeah. creepy dude. Mm-hmm. Um, his delivery is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Always, every time. I love this the way he says, you were a rat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love the disdain. I love the way, like, the creepy, faux, mm-hmm. gentle way he approaches Willow. Yeah. When he says, Ugh. Amy said... Amy said I could help you, but did Amy say how you could help me? Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He's so creepy. And he's so good at being creepy, but he's so creepy. He's so creepy. He's so creepy. And the way there's this, like, I don't know, like, faux gentleness Mm -hmm. is kind of the best way that I can describe it. When he's like, it's okay. I'm not going to hurt you. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I do not believe you for a second, sir. Absolutely. You step off. And then, of course, Amy says, it's okay. It's over fast. 
That does not bode well, does it? No, it certainly I mean, does not. Holy shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he takes a tour of Willow. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. This is a lot. This scene is a lot. Yeah. And we get, of course, your favorite line. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. It's so fucking creepy. You taste like strawberries. It The way he says it, like, okay, I I hate it. It's creepy. It makes my skin crawl. It's so well done. Like, and that's it's why it makes my skin to. crawl. It yeah. does what it's supposed to do. So when I say yeah. I hate it, that is a compliment to what is actually happening here because it's disgusting and horrible and wonderfully done and incredibly evocative. So. Well, it's our and it's our second wordplay uh-huh. with the idea of tasting, yep. right? Because earlier we had Spike to Buffy mm. saying, "I know where you live now. I've tasted it." Which, yeah. again, I I need to tongue scrape my whole body Ugh. when he says that. Yeah. Um. But so we have Spike to Buffy, and then we have Rack to Willow mm-hmm. with this idea of tasting someone in this yeah. way that is sexual and not simultaneously. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which helps draw a parallel between these two dynamics, mm-hmm. um, I think, better than almost anything else that happens in this yeah. episode. But it also adds this predatory sensuality to Rack mm-hmm. that I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. And this is why I say that Rack, I don't I don't read him as a magical drug dealer so yeah. much. I read the Rack Willow dynamic much more as an abusive Dom sub relationship. Oh, interesting. Because he's topping her with magic Mm -hmm. and she's enjoying it. Mm -hmm. But it's ultimately about his pleasure and how she can help him. Right. Well, he's playing with her. Like when he's got her on the ceiling and the and the the visions that she's having, you know, this this limp female body being dragged around by a demon, a demon, which then, of course, manifests a little bit later in the episode. Um, I find, uh, you know, like that's. That's disturbing. And she's experiencing this as a high, but there's this dark undercurrent and he's watching her. He's enjoying her. He's playing with her the way a cat plays with a mouse, you know? Um, So, yeah, it's interesting what he gets out of it. It takes me back to some of our first magic as sex imagery, Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of like mouths kind of partway open and a lot of moaning and sighing. Oh well, and we see her like her shirt is open. You see her midriff when she's on the ceiling, and that yeah, is kind of is... a very sexual sort of writhing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when when Willow goes to see him and brings Dawn along and leaves her in the waiting room, mm-hmm. her she's we see her you know floating and she's just kind of dead weight sort of limp but floating at that point Mm -hmm. but his reclined position on the couch is very masturbatory oh yes absolutely it really Mm -hmm. reads as Mm -hmm. like he is absolutely getting off on doing things to these people Mm -hmm. who come to him in a an abuse like and he knows he knows it's dangerous Mm -hmm. right like he's he is delighted when she's terrified. Yeah. It really it reads much more as abusive dominant. Yeah. Than drug dealer mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because um, a drug dealer takes the money and goes, right? 
He's and yeah. he's not interested in money from her. No. We hear later that he do, he will take yeah. other forms of payment. Right. No, but she's like there's but something from about her. Willow. Yeah. And yeah. clearly he likes doing this to Amy too, because we see Amy in the middle of her high. But Amy's mm-hmm. just spinning around in like this glorious you know, um, kind of twirly, almost little girl kind of affectation. And he seems to be ignoring Amy, but he is definitely siphoning power out of Willow. Out of slash into, Mm -hmm. it's really, it's it's creepy. Mm -hmm. It is, it reads very much as like a a dark, there's there's a dark sexuality Mm -hmm. to Rack Mm -hmm. and Willow. that I think the the little coda mm-hmm. to that visit kind of supports. Yeah. I mean, Willow's sobbing in the shower. Yeah. That is a great shorthand. First of all, someone sobbing in the shower is great shorthand for crossed a line, uh, right? Yes. Like that's mm-hmm. <laughs> super resonant. Mm-hmm. Um and it it works it works really well. I think in in a lot of ways, um, one is just that it comes very charged from the culture, from, yeah. you know, film and television. We've seen this idea before, but it also reads very strongly to me as a post-physical violation moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's a cultural code. We've charged crying in the shower with somebody has violated me and this is the only place I can process it in this, you know, um, very private space. Um, but violated yeah. physically, yeah, physical, specifically. Physical and violation. Often, I mean, it does have that yeah. connotation. I think deeply has that connotation within our culture. And I also just think it's interesting, that little moment of Willow in the shower. Um, this is the second time in two weeks that we've had a shot of a young, naked woman mm-hmm. that, A, serves the narrative, mm-hmm. and B, doesn't sexualize her. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know. The bar, and I know, like the bar is in hell, right? right. When it comes to like, but you take young what you actors, can get, right? You know, female characters. Right. But I was like, oh, we had Amy coming back from being a rat, yep. and she's naked, and it's not like, yeah, I don't know, it's not sexy in any way. She's just naked she because just happens to be naked, and we're not sexualizing magic. that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we get this shower, this shower moment that is, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a big emotional beat with no ooh, and she's naked. You know, I yes, like I say, the bar is in hell, but I appreciate but, it. Yeah, but you know what? Again, take what you can get. You know, yeah. like when you can actually watch something where a woman is not sexualized, it becomes. I remember the first time I watched Black Panther, and we saw these mm. women fighting, and they weren't in these skin tight cat suits, <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. Like, Hold we on. have feminine power without having to pay for it through our sexuality. Like, how did that happen? You know, after having seen Black Widow and all those uh, movies prior to that. Um, yeah. Uh, when you get it, you notice it. And the fact that we notice it is a real sign that that and the fact that we don't expect it. The fact that we as women expect to pay for anything we get, any power we get, anything with our sexuality. Um the idea that that price is not exacted um, when it's not exacted, it becomes a thing of note um, is definitely something that we need to wrestle with uh, and rumble with as a culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the coda to the coda. Yeah. Willow inflates Tara's dress because she wants to be held. Oh, my God. That is so Which... heartbreaking. Again, like it's heartbreaking for a number of reasons, mm-hmm. but it takes me back to Rack 
as an abusive dominant right. because obviously not one for aftercare right um <laughs> like <laughs> not gonna not gonna take care of these people that he is you know pumping full of painful mm -hmm. you know scary painful magic yeah um and I like that it's a dress specifically because Willow wants feminine comfort and closeness. And it just like, oh, yeah. Oh, it just like does my little queer heart <laughs> all the feels. It like is. all the feelings. But it's such a representation of grief, too. Like if you've ever lost anybody, you know, their clothes, the clothes that smell like them. Like I, I read this as such a strong um like a strong grief narrative you know when she curls up with this uh, air terra you know um and i remember oh. when i was a little girl my father died very suddenly when i was 12 and you know we went and got all of his stuff and my mom just stuck him in this wardrobe this armoire that was on the back porch you know um it was a closed porch but it was on the porch and i remember like in the months following my father's death i, I mean i know this sounds like ridiculously composed but this is actually what happened um is that i would go into i would tuck myself inside that wardrobe and close the door you know inside the armoire and um wrap my arms around all of his coats until it felt oh like him God. until there was enough that it felt like my arms would go around it and i would just sit there and hug my father who was gone oh but i would God, hug his clothing honey. like that right i mean it's just so whenever i see this with willow i'm always brought back to that moment and that sense of you know of of comfort from what is left behind when the grief leaves this empty space and you see the empty space within this dress that she is inflated yeah. you know and it is just so beautifully done and so incredibly evocative of that experience like i love that and how you feel the yeah. absence so much more yeah through what is left behind yes of someone yes through the impression How, of them, the imprint yeah. of them, but in their absence. Yeah. No, it's a beautifully expressed. I love that moment. That's one of my favorite moments in all of Buffy when she just curls up in the lap of this of this dress, you know? It's so powerful. Oh it's God. so yeah. powerful. Mm -hmm. Oh God. Oh. Well know. now that you've made me cry. I'm sorry, I baby. No. <laughs> No, it's good. It's it's good. Like it's good to it's good to cry about yeah. stuff that's difficult. This is why like, we go to fiction, right? Why we go good to stories response. to have those experiences and to kind of yeah. like feel our way through the things that in our own lives can sometimes be a little bit difficult to feel. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and visualizing like something that I love about visual storytelling in particular mm -hmm. is the way that we can create an image mm -hmm. of what it feels like yeah right yeah that inflated dress yes. cuddling with that magically inflated dress mm -hmm. is such a beautiful expression of what that feels like yes absolutely it is and that's what fiction I mean, is supposed to do it's not supposed to be what it is it's supposed to get across what it feels like and when it's doing its job to its best capabilities you get a moment like this Oh, and good visual shorthand is just like mm -hmm. one of my absolute favorite oh, things. Yeah. This is a tiny example from the production design of this episode. Mm -hmm. But I love that Rack's water cooler <laughs> is full of something black. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. Well, because there's that no is black a... liquid that isn't 
you know, poison or toxic or whatever, and that, that he would keep that in a water cooler. Well, it speaks volumes about the kind of guy that this is. Like, what is he offering in a his... cooler, in a water cooler? What is that? Like, the implied... God, yeah. okay, production design, like, geekery moment. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about good production design yeah. is that what you put in the frame... Mm-hmm can tell so much about yeah. the world and that nothing this is, is taking accidentally place in. in the frame and a good design nothing is accidental yeah 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 it's so much fun mm-hmm. it's so much fun to go through yeah plate like locations mm-hmm. in film and television and go oh somebody chose that yeah somebody chose that like that is deliberate and just i mean just a a water cooler full of black liquid mm-hmm. i mean it's so it it's visual shorthand for Rack, yeah. right? That he is not life sustaining. We mm-hmm. need water to sustain life. And water is also symbolic of our feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. I mean, often when you see water on screen, we're dealing with, you know, the yeah. the emotional world. Yeah. So this idea of, I don't know, being emotionally blacked out being cloudy emotionally like her eyes become black which i actually really like Mm -hmm. as a a both as a a not seeing things clearly yeah metaphor but also this was the first time that i read those black contacts as dilated pupils right yeah and it also just kind of gives you the sense that like willow doesn't live here we're not right now yeah yeah mm-hmm. you know um but yeah <laughs> somebody's home but the lights <laughs> are off home, but like it's, it's not willow um one of the things too you know speaking about like racks is that like we have what willow sees right so we have this demon this demon that almost looks like he doesn't have skin he kind of looks like he's just muscle and no skin like perhaps he had been flayed dragging a limp and dead naked woman through the woods and i'm like is this warren and katrina are we seeing you know willow's future in this you know experience like i mean and then we get the demon who's manifest and is clearly not warren at that point but you made me with your magics like this is the vision of what will happen this is some it feels to me like some foreshadowing of both warren being flayed and warren killing katrina oh absolutely and the demon that is made by the Mm -hmm. playing around with magic in this way Before before he becomes a literal thing in the world, mm-hmm. we see him holding the dead body of a woman. Yeah. And it's real good. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Oh, I love that, though. The idea of him as a a a skinless demon man with specifically. a dead woman. I mean, and, you know, I was thinking Katrina, but also Tara. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Because Warren oh. is our resident misogynist, kills more than one woman this uh, this season. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you've only killed one woman, like, are you really a misogynist? <laughs> it was just that one woman. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. There's a God. whole discussion there I can't even get into. So let's talk about abuse of substance versus abuse of power, because you had some really interesting ideas on this. Yeah. So I mentioned it earlier that my one of my big problems with yeah. the way this plays out is the idea of 
magic as substance abuse mm-hmm. because there's not a substance really. Yeah. Um, and prior to this, we've really looked at the problem with Willow's magic use mm-hmm. being about the power over other people, mm-hmm. right? Exacting her will on other people. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about this and I, I'm really interested in the way that Willow explains the pull of magic. Mm-hmm. When she's talking to Buffy about how this got out of control, she says, it took me away from myself. Mm-hmm. I was, and then she pauses and she says, free. Right. And at first I thought, free from mm-hmm. right like yeah she's been talking about the girl she was before mm-hmm. free from this self she didn't like mm-hmm. free from we're not really clear normal willow whatever yeah. normal willow is whatever normal willow feels like mm-hmm. was not something that willow wanted to be right um so at first i thought about that as like free from this kind of trapped in normal sea mm-hmm sensation yeah for lack of a better word but what if what if it's free too oh my god it took me away from myself i was free yeah free to mm-hmm. fill in the blank right mm-hmm. oh my god oh my god yeah i read this in your notes and i was like <gasps> boom like yeah because free too is about power you know, yeah. and free from is about escape, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that she felt free to do things, although if you look at her and and Rack in this context, in these two episodes, where suddenly out of nowhere, we've got this very severe magic as drugs metaphor. Um, I think what we're seeing depicted is more free from. But I love this read. But it but free free to also helps explain mm-hmm. or or maybe the word that I actually want is like expand with our vision of Willow using magic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because th- it's presented as a problem yeah. that Willow is using magic to say, decorate for a party mm-hmm. or do her hair. But if you have this kind of boundless power, mm-hmm. and let's not forget Willow has had experiences through magic mm-hmm. prior to this, well, well in advance of this episode. Yeah. Willow has had experiences through magic that no one else in her life can really understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was talking um, with Dr. Kelly Jones yeah. about this a little bit, actually. And <laughs> she just, I was, I was kind of trying to tease out mm-hmm. the power dynamic of magic Mm -hmm. and willow and kelly said well let's not forget that willow hacked into heaven yeah like yeah the amount not just the amount of power that that takes but what that would do to your perspective on things well yeah free to because free to not just because you can, not mm-hmm. just because you are able to, but free to because you have a completely different 
worldview. Well, yeah, there's a difference. Than the people around you. There's a difference between I want to and I can't because I don't have the power. And I have the power to do this thing, but I'm not going to. The second requires so much more energy and restraint when you can do something, but you are not doing it because you're not supposed to. You know, that is difficult. That is hard. Being powerless, you know, while frustrating, you know, in in certain circumstances is also like there's you can't. So you just there's no energy required to being powerless. You're just powerless. You know, Um, having power and not using it is really hard. Um, And so I find that like that release from that self-restraint from the 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 strength of her, you know, forgive me, willpower. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But also, also from a perspective shift Mm -hmm. point of view, if with that incredible amount of power, the temporary nature Mm -hmm. of things changes. So why not? Like, why not use magic? Sure. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm. I think ultimately the the position I'm coming down on is that Willow's whole story arc is much more complicated, I think, than even the writers I think so. maybe realized. Yeah. Yeah. Because of what is implied mm-hmm. by her her level of proficiency mm-hmm. with magic, what she is, not just what she's able to do, but what she has experienced yeah. as a result of mm-hmm. magic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's, it, it's a lot. It's so much, which is, you know, like these episodes are typically not considered to be like the best episodes, but I think that they have some of the most interesting things happening in them and they're good. You know, Noxon is a solid writer. I love her. Um, and I think that she's doing a really interesting, she's doing a lot of really interesting stuff, especially with Willow, as we're going to absolutely be examining throughout the rest of the season. Uh, but as we wrap things up here today, Noel, I would like to ask you a personal question. What are you wearing? <laughs> so, you know, when you go to your warlock dom <laughs> slash drug dealer. As you do. And yes. He takes a magical tour of you and then your eye shadow changes. <laughs> you know how that happens? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So I love, mm-hmm. love, love, love the choice to make Willow being magically mm-hmm. uh, uh, violated, perhaps, yeah. magically explored. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Um Post post rack willow yes is wearing makeup that looks very very similar to vampire willow from <gasps> so doppelgangerland interesting i love that i never the caught green that green eyeshadow mm-hmm. and the the darker sort of almost red lip mm-hmm. shows up it's interesting she's wearing the green eyeshadow when she and amy go out mm-hmm. but after rack does his magical tour yeah we're looking at her in close up and she's got her eyes closed and she's all ecstatic and her eyeshadow is more like there's more of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so great. Such a cool and, catch. 
And I don't even know what to say necessarily about mm-hmm. magically high willow and vampire yeah. willow together. I feel like, I don't know, maybe we need to revisit Doppelgangland. I will revisit um, Doppelgangland a million times. I love that episode. <laughs> be, I mean, and that's yeah. another thing mm-hmm. about Willow and her power, yeah. right? Willow has confronted an alternate timeline mm-hmm. reality version of herself. Yeah. yeah. Where she's dead. Mm-hmm. In a vampire <laughs> and kind of gay. Like yeah. it's it's a lot. Oh, and we don't uh-huh. we don't acknowledge that at all. Mm-hmm. We don't acknowledge what, you know, you talk about what she sees when she is high. Mm-hmm. I also love that she's literally high, yeah. right? Like she's high up. Mm-hmm. Um we talk about what she sees, you know, under the influence of magic, but because of magic, mm-hmm. she has seen things. Yeah. Like her vampire double that would be deeply affecting, mm-hmm. I would imagine, and possibly traumatizing. Yeah. And Willow, like our lovely, reliable Willow, just rolls with it yeah. for the longest time mm-hmm. until she doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's something here also. There's something here also about, I think, the what you can see through magic and how that changes your humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she's, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm spitballing here, but like if magically high willow looks a little bit like vampire willow mm-hmm. is magically high willow less human oh. or superhuman or you know what I mean? Like what she's, is her relationship to her humanity now? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That is really interesting. I don't know. It's like a lot it. to pull from eyeshadow, but <laughs> No, I like it. and this is what we do. Are you kidding me? You know, this we pull I mean... we pull a lot from tiny details. That is really what uh what still pretty is all about. Um all right, so what's your girl power moment of the week? Oh, not with a girl power bit. I say this with absolutely no snark whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's Willow admitting that she needs help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately whether we like this narrative turn or not, mm-hmm. Having moments like that on screen yeah. is powerful and necessary. Yes. Is it the best depiction of addiction, mm-hmm. quote unquote, rock bottom drug use? No, yeah. no. But it is, I mean, it's well done. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully performed. Yeah. It makes me cry every single time. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And that is huge. Yeah. That is huge. Getting out of your own way enough to admit that not only do you need help, but then she says, please help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To admit that you need help and ask for help is huge. And that is a sign of strength and power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's really good. And I also, just as a follow up to that, I also like that they have Buffy there but not forgive Willow right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's power in that too. Yeah. Um, when Buffy embraces Willow, we can see that Buffy is still angry and hurting. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. not like, it's not all better mm-hmm. just because Willow has admitted that she needs help. Right. Buffy is still hurt and still angry and still, you know, rattled by what has happened. Mm-hmm. And we linger on that shot of her. And I think that that is powerful, too. Absolutely. Just because somebody admits that they were wrong or that they have a problem or that, 
you know, they mm-hmm. need help, that their <laughs> that their lives have become unmanageable, doesn't mean that you have to forgive them immediately or even take them back right away. <laughs> right. You don't have to pretend like nothing happened. Like that's the thing. I think we jump to this uh this idea of um of forgiveness as being it's okay. You know, it's not okay. And Buffy, and we have this moment too where Buffy comes to Willow when Willow's sitting on the bed and they're talking about Dawn and she says it'll take some time and it will take some time to get it back. But Buffy's power here is not necessarily incomplete. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Forgiveness. But rather in sitting with Willow in Willow's accountability, which is an act of love in and of itself, it is greater than forgiveness to sit with somebody in their accountability, hold them accountable, and yet still love them through it. That is an incredibly powerful moment. Yeah, it's the difference between forgiveness and compassion. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It's so good. I have a complicated relationship with forgiveness, but I'll go into that on another day. But anyway, um, one of the things that I thought was really wonderful here um, is, again, exhibit number like 127 in my Dawn is a Badass file is she is the one who kicks the demon back into the garbage cans when he attacks. She is the one who kicks the demon and they run. Um, I love that from Dawn. I love that Dawn is a, a character who like wins things are serious does not cower and cry like she makes things happen and it's so often in the background and it's so often unacknowledged but the more that I watch Dawn closely the more I fucking love Dawn yeah 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 she can be she can be terrified Mm -hmm. and kick ass at the same time I know and making herself you know peanut butter and banana quesadillas which everybody everybody has those culinary accidents sometimes (laughs) but she's going for it it's very brave all right so with with her fingers (laughs) (laughs) with with her fingers right she's the only wimps use spatulas or something like that there you go only wimps use spatulas yeah yep all right so what's your favorite part of the episode it is the visualization of Willow's quote-unquote drug trips Mm -hmm. I love <laughs> I don't I don't love the metaphor as of, as I have said yeah. multiple times. I love to see it. Yeah. It's so cool. It, it is. is gorgeous. It is. And uh, you know, and me being me, like I got totally the wrong idea. I was like, yeah, I want to be floating in a trance state with like crackly magic that sounds awesome (laughs) and a little bit it does i mean there's a reason why people do drugs like oh yeah you know in the moment you know they have a lot of consequence but in the moment you know um they can be they can be a lot of fun used responsibly and legally and all that kind of stuff um (laughs) my favorite part of course it will come a surprise to nobody is the spike and buffy stuff here um i love their relationship i love their um i love their their reflective get a grip you know hers in the first scene and then him when they're uh when they're walking down the road looking for dawn um there's so much in this in the way that they interact with each other i love the way that they work together and i think that honestly my favorite part is just when spike goes to tend to dawn and be nurturing while buffy fights um that they they just wordlessly harmonize so well and i i love them i can't help it i just do putting the harm in harmonizing that's right <laughs> If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag still pretty. This episode of still pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. 
These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our November producers, Shelly, Kristen, Jonathan, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers, nobody could do that much decoupage without calling on the powers of darkness. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. And we've got a new bonus for the $5 and up patrons. Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd and I are doing Let's Watch Roulette, a video podcast where we randomly roll a movie or TV pilot and watch it with a live reaction video, then do on-the-spot story analysis. It is a lot of fun, and anyone who supports either of us at the $5 and up level can find it on either of our Patreon pages. Um, By the way, if you are not watching Ian's Buffy Guides at his Passion of the Nerd YouTube channel. You need to get to that. They are amazing. Other uh, ways to show your support for us here at Chipperish Media, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or go back to treating spite like dirt until you get an itch you can't scratch. Chipperish Media is taking off next week, but we'll be back in two weeks with Gone, the 11th episode of season six. Until then, don't get all weird on me. We're fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine.